short little reading, probably shorter than you were expecting. But if we go on too far into that reading, uh, then we trespass on uh, material that I really want to make sure uh, Will gets a good go at, so I didn't want to make it too long for him uh, next week. Uh, So keep that short reading in front of you, if you would, on page uh, 1012, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that having sung of uh, your Son, who opened the eyes of the blind, we might, as we come to the story of uh, a blind man, find that our eyes are opened for the first time or opened more to the reality of Jesus and his power for living. Amen. Uh, Well, Mark opens his gospel, his account of the story of Jesus, uh, saying this. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. His entire purpose uh, is to tell us who Jesus is and why that's good news. And this story today is the end of the first part of that account of his, or it's very close to the end. Uh, We've been moving in the story away uh, from Jerusalem, and the turnaround point is going to be very soon, uh, later on in chapter 8. It's going to be in the very far, far, far north. Uh, If it was England, you'd be writing about... Ooh, Ullapool, or um, uh, if it was Great Britain, you'd be writing about Ullapool, or well beyond Aberdeen anyway. That's how kind of far and up there it is, really. Apologies to any Scots present. Um, The turnaround point is going to be at Caesarea Philippi in the far north later on. And then we're going to have the return to Jerusalem, to rejection and to death. And this is the last element, this story, these four verses uh, of the lead-up. Actually, it's five, isn't it? Two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, it's five verses, sorry. The last element of the lead-up. And it poses the question to which the next moment, the turnaround, the confession that's coming of Jesus as the Christ, uh, that's going to be the answer, and this is posing the question. This whole uh, eight chapters up to this point has been... Uh, around the question, who is Jesus? But unless we also learn something here about what we are like, we will not understand how Jesus is good news for us. And today is perhaps a lesson in what we are like. Since the start of chapter 6, and go back to it, I'm going to run through these chapters, um, You only may get five verses read, but I thought I might as well preach on two chapters. Um, Since the start of chapter 6, there's been a pattern to the stories. As Jesus allows the 12 to be with him and to work with him. And we can put it this way. There are those in the stories who get it right, and there are those who get it wrong in terms of reaction to Jesus. And it's all structured very carefully as Mark arranges it. 
Those who get it right are the crowds, the vulnerable, and the invalids. Those who get it wrong are the Pharisees, the party of Herod, and actually the disciples themselves. You may remember if you were here last week, the disciples are caught out being told they're no better than Pharisees and Herodians themselves. Two very distinct groups. And the pattern is important enough that I'm actually going to take you through it. Prophecy matters in this pattern. The two, there are two feeding miracles, 5,000 and 4,000. They happen where there is no local food. These are desert places. And that's kind of a bit of a, a mental prod to us as we read it. We're supposed to think, ah, desert, not just Exodus. We're, about to, we're supposed to think Isaiah 35. God's people are nearing the, the promises that that chapter of Isaiah holds. Blind eyes are opened, deaf ears are unstopped, tongues are loosened to shout for joy, the unclean are banished, and good things are made available in a land that ha- by itself has no produce. The result in Isaiah is that God's people come back to Jerusalem with singing and with joy crowning their heads. And I wonder what it would be like to, to translate that into our own day. To think of all the things that we labor under, that we feel together is a, is a strain and a stress. The, the really big things, not just the passing things in the news, but the fact that we all we have to work too hard. The fact that family life is breaking down. Isaiah 35, as it were, takes those stresses, those big stresses of life and says, there is an answer. It is going to get better when one comes. And just as now, there is that longing. And Jesus is walking into this prophecy and saying, yeah, nailed that one, nailed that one, nailed that one. And this is another of those nailings. This is the blind seeing. And we know it's Isaiah 35 because of a, a little mad bit. Do you remember the story earlier on at the end of the fe- feeding of the 5,000 where it says, um, the man who had a speech impediment was healed. And the crowd say, uh, this, is, this man is amazing. He makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The man was not mute. He had a speech impediment. Uh, and Jesus cures his speech impediment. And he's t- we're told that the tongue, uh, uh, that the string of his tongue is unloosed. If you, have, if you have the string of your tongue unloosed, having been bound, you were not mute. You just had a huge difficulty in expressing yourself. But they say mute because Isaiah 35 says the mute are now speaking. The people are getting it. What's going on? This is that. So when we read of the blind man being made to see now, we're supposed to be taken back to Isaiah 35 and go, oh, I know what that is. Prophecy matters. Geography matters too. Because these are stories mostly around Lake Galilee, uh, both in the the western Jewish side. Imagine I'm Lake Galilee. This is the western side uh, under Herod Antipas. And this is the eastern side. That's where the Gentiles lived under uh, Herod Philip. So the prophecy is now being taken further because those who rejoice include the Gentiles. 
But the pattern, the key pattern, is who gets it right and who gets it wrong. And here is a slide. Brilliant. Thank you. I want you to follow the zigzags. The crowds and the desperate get it right. Those threatened by Jesus get it wrong, and so do the disciples after their first uh, successful experience. Begins with the unfaith of his hometown. Then we get the mission of the twelve from verse 7 of chapter 6. They get it, they get it right at first. Then there's an interruption. Herod kills John the Baptist. That's bad, in case you hadn't realized Um, Then from verse 30 of chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 Jewish people. Now, we assume they're delighted. Uh, That's met with reaction from the disciples, except their hearts are now hardened. That's bad. Uh, The crowds go on in verse 53 of chapter 6 to welcome Jesus, and there is a healing. Then at the beginning of chapter 7, the Pharisees are condemned as hypocrites, and the disciples are... Uh, there's interaction that exposes them as being dull. Later in chapter 7, the unclean spirit is banished, and again, we assume that the mother, the Gentile mother of the girl involved, uh, was welcomed that and thought that was a good thing. It's the right reaction to Jesus. And that little bit gets a summary at the end of chapter 7. The deaf, mute man is healed. Then, in chapter 8, Jesus goes on to feed 4,000 Gentiles on the eastern side of Lake Galilee. Uh, The Pharisees come, we assume that they were were quite pleased about that. Um, The Pharisees uh, turn up again to test Jesus uh, from verse 10 of chapter 8. And when he has exposed them again, the disciples are warned not to follow the Pharisees. They are again dull, their hearts are hardened. And now we come to our story, another summary, the blind man is healed. That's going to lead on to the great confession. It's like all these things have happened so that someone finally once gets it. Who is Jesus? We're going to find the answer next week. The pattern matters. The key line in our short story today, if you've still got your Bibles open, is there in verse 25. He saw everything clearly. The man who was healed, the deaf and mute man, we are told at the end of that story, spoke clearly. The language is the same. Clarity of hearing, clarity of speech, clarity of seeing. And it follows the words in verse 21 of chapter 8, where Jesus says, do you still not understand? And the the actual word he uses for understand is, do you still not see clearly? The disciples don't see clearly, so he does a miracle, and the man sees clearly. Up to this point, the stories have been full of impact on those whom Jesus has encountered. But there's been no development, no following That hasn't really happened since the disciples, the first disciples are first called. That's going to change in chapter 8. Discipleship itself is going to be explained. But discipleship itself depends on seeing clearly. That's the essential, first, foundational element. And Jesus, in this story, takes the man through a process in which he is blind to start with, 
Jesus opens his eyes and says, do you see anything? It's the only time Jesus ever in a miracle asks a question. And uh, the man says, well, I see something. I see people. Uh, But uh, I can see they're walking around, but they look like trees. And Jesus does it again. And he sees clearly. Jesus wants us to know there is such a thing as seeing that isn't clarity. The disciples at this point are not seeing clearly. We learned that from verse 21. They see something, but it's like the man sees people walking around like trees. They have to be brought to see clearly. What they need to see is what the next element is actually going to tell us next week. That they need to see clearly is what this story is for today. It's not long ago, I can't even remember whether it was morning or evening, I asked a congregation. Um, who wears um, uh, an analogue watch like mine with a clock face, because uh, uh, I'm 58, uh, and who uh, depends on digital time, either with a watch or they use their phone. We live, I'm not going to ask it again in case it was you and you don't want to do it again, we live in digital times when something is on or off. It's black or white. It's coded in computers as a one or a zero. And we might slip into thinking that faith is like that. It's on or off black or white. We may even get the impression that just because we're here with walls against the outside, the very fact of being here makes this the community of faith. We must be okay because we're here. We haven't got unfaith like that town that Jesus came from, so we must be okay. But an analogue watch is different. Uh, I think it was Natalie asked me the time yesterday, and I said, well, it's between seven and eight minutes past. If you've got a, if you've got a digital system, you'd, you'd have said, it's um, seven minutes past and 23 seconds. Well, you might, have, you might have said that, I suppose. But it's a, it's, with, with one of these, it's a, it's a matter of a bit more and a bit less. It's kind of between. It could be closer. The disciples are on a journey, discovering that faith is in truth much more like one of these than a digital system. It's not enough to see, see or not see. You have to see clearly, fully. There's more to go. In fact, it isn't even enough, as we'll discover next week, that it's uh, it's not enough to see clearly. We must then follow. Faith is incredibly demanding in Mark's gospel. If we can put it like this, the head must see clearly, must know, must understand. And then the heart and will must follow until one's dying day. Full faith is not a simple black and white. If it's not unfaith, it must be faith. Some were in the wrong in that pattern, some were in the right. It is seeing clearly and then following. Now that's for next week, and I don't want to trespass on it. But I do want to emphasize this week and get the full value out of this week. It's about Jesus making it clear that seeing clearly is absolutely foundational. I said at the start that unless we understand what we're like, we're not going to understand how Jesus is good news. So what is it that we have to see clearly? We'll discover that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed King of God's people, the one to usher in the promised days of Isaiah 35, when God is going to be king and all things are set to right again, far beyond what even the most desperate could hope for, the blind, the lame. Now, 
If you asked Ben or any of us who participated in Holiday Club last week and and just asked us about the stories of family life that we encounter, if you don't already live in crisis, if you're fortunate and rejoicing to come to church this morning with a happy life, then we can tell you of some stories to curl your toes. This is a society not less than, than Isaiah's looking for healing. Not less than Jesus's, looking for healing. And by the grace of God, a number found it last week. But it also requires that we, or what we might describe as the maintenance of that site. It's not enough. It's foundational. It's first. It's essential to see clearly. It's not enough. Notice how the story ends here. It doesn't end the way you'd expect. The man's eyes are opened, his sight is restored, he sees clearly, and Jesus sends him to his home. But he also says, don't go into the village. Because he knows what the people of the village will do. They're fickle. They're unstable. We are those who do not, by nature, see clearly. It's not enough to be a little less blind. It's not enough to see clearly now and then find that Mixing back with your old environment just pulls you back. Bethsaida, which is where this happens, was a very substantial village. If you imagine again that I'm Lake Galilee, uh, this is the western side where you're sitting, from where you're sitting. This is the eastern side. Bethsaida's about there. And Caesarea Philippi's way up there. It was a very substantial village for those days. In fact, it had, uh, Herod had just rebuilt it and given it the name of one of Caesar's relatives. There's a general sense in Mark's gospel that a home is a good place, but a village, a town, is a bad place. Jesus seems to know that while the crowds from the villages are fascinated by him, and they follow him everywhere, the crowd doesn't get it. Can I ask you please to pray for those youngsters last week who had a tremendous experience. We kind of took them out of the village. And we took them on one side. And we prayed for them, and they prayed for themselves. But they've gone back to the village. Pray for them. Jesus seems concerned that instead of the flourishing of faith that this man needs, the villages will turn him into a freak show or leave him questioning what happened, reverting to seeing only fuzzily. And I want to apply it all by asking you with what faith you come this morning. Perhaps you feel the very act of getting here and being here on a fine summer morning. What a sacrifice that represents, uh, given the summer we've had. Perhaps that's enough. Perhaps you come because you're with someone else in your family and they have an obvious faith. So you think that kind of counts for you too. You see fuzzily. But are you really blind? Perhaps because you're here, your answer is, well, no, of course I'm not blind. But I do want to ask whether you're like the man in the story, seeing fuzzily, only just seeing. Ben had a favourite joke from um, Holiday Club, which I will tell because it's deeply relevant at this point. Um, Did you hear about the man who um, was cooking and got herbs in his eye? He's now partially sighted. (laughs) I don't want you to leave partially sighted. This story matters. It's the only story 
where Jesus does something twice. It's the only story where he asks questions. It's unique because he does not want people thinking that Jesus is happy with, at least you're not totally blind. There's more to come and discipleship will become more demanding. But here, at this point, Mark wants us to understand that it is useless to end up at stage one, seeing fuzzily. All that Mark's gospel will be about is a call to see that Jesus is the anointed king of his and all peoples, and that this is good news because we, left to ourselves, would want to be the king, the queen, in our own lives. Jesus' frustration to this point with his disciples is that they refuse to see clearly. And this story, I think, is for those of you today who do not yet see clearly. And it is a summons to open your eyes and see who Jesus really is. He's not a nice man, not a kind teacher, not a miracle worker, not something special, someone who means something to the person I came with. We will tend to trust our appreciation of Jesus' greatness, but our appreciation can only ever lead at max to seeing fuzzily. But he's good news, because seeing clearly means denying that kind of appreciation in favor of recognizing who he really is as a king to obey. I'm going to uh, pray now to finish, and then Ben is going to take our prayers forward. Let's pray. And just a moment of quiet to put yourself into that story. There's a blind man, there's Jesus, and there's uh, a crowd. There's the friends of the blind man. Can you say this morning that you see clearly and that that clear sight has been good news for you? And if others will forgive me, I'm going to pray as though, uh, as though I am one of those who does not yet see clearly before Ben takes over. Lord Jesus, I, uh, I recognize that you're quite something. You're special, you're different. There's been no one like you. And you've done those things that we were singing about earlier. But I want to see clearly. I can't get that step on my own. And I want you to open my eyes so that I would see clearly. As we've heard that some of those children did this week. And I ask that in these days and weeks you would take me to clear sight and to clear speech and to a clear following 
as one who knows properly for the first time. Amen.